Well, hello, friends. Greetings. This is Manny Gonzalez, the less than medium half of Bottom of the Bottle, and welcome to today's podcast. And it's an exciting one because this was the first podcast Adam and I had done together since the summer, which is super exciting. And we were on site at this great, I don't know what on site means, by the way. We don't have a studio. There's not a place that we typically go. I'm in a field at my house. Adam's at home. We kind of figure it out as we go, but I'm going to stay on site because it just sounds good. We were on site at this awesome restaurant in Hyannis, Massachusetts on the Cape on a beautiful, chilly, but gorgeous early spring day in March at a restaurant called Pizza Barbone. This is a restaurant that is owned by Chef Jason and his wife, Ali O'Toole. It is an awesome, awesome place to make amazing pizzas. We got to try and we filmed it live at the studio, or well, in the studio, at the restaurant during service. So you will definitely hear some background noise. You can actually hear their oven, which is a blistering thousand degrees, my friends. That makes some of the most beautiful pizzas you can imagine. And we even got Jason to sit down with us at the end of his shift to hang out, and it was really great. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. Just so you know, there's a lot of background noise, and I'm going to pop in with this little kind of discussion, narration, to break things up a little bit when I feel like the noise level gets a little too kooky. But anyways, cheers everyone, happy spring, happy 2022, hopefully it's way better than the last couple years, and uh, I'll talk to you shortly. Enjoy the show. Usually when um, my daughter um, 
when I wake up in the morning. It's really mean to me. Um, like, literally, she gets really mad at me. And I, I, when I was a kid, like, my mom would come in and she would, like, you know, wake up and she'd tickle my feet. And I go in, like, very gentle. And at 6.30 is her first waking. And it usually takes, like, 40 minutes. Her first wake. Um, I'm going to take the dog out. I'm like, let's see. Let's take the dog out. Does what it does. We come back inside. 6.45.
Sometimes second pressings are that, that initial juice is what you use, and you only really get the, the contact uh, in a short window of, of time. And that's why you get all the really light colors in Provence and Exxon Provence and so on, because they're really not seeing their skins for an extended period of time tell by uh, rumor. This is actually 2020. The 2021 is not live yet. There's a sample I got in anticipation of 2021. And this might have brightened a little bit because Rose will do that But uh, really pretty color. Really pretty texture. Cool thing they do on this that I had not heard of before. Maybe you have. Because I was reading it a little bit. I probably it. have. Of course. <laughs> the they are allowing these contact with this one, so these cells. Um, but it, it, it said kind of before fermenting. So they're adding yeast, but they're keeping the temperature low enough. So fermentation is starting. They're doing least contact before fermentation starts for about eight to ten days, which is I had not thought of that for rosé. You'll hear about it at the end, after fermentation is over, to add some body and add some texture. Yep. But at the beginning, it, it, it's different. It's certainly adding a, a different profile of wine, which is pleasant. Um, you get some of that weight on the palate, but it's not really very. And uh, it's just, it's a, it's really pretty. It's predominantly Grenache. Um, most Provence rosés are always going to be blends. Probably Grenache. But it's a, it's a really, in these terms, they mean nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a luxurious rosé. Um, and what I mean by that is it, the mouthfeel, and it's soft and kind of velvety. And it, it, the, the, the flush through the, the acid is, is really vibrant. It's, it's got a lot going on. It's kind of, it's, it's everything you want in, in a rosé magnified. And you don't always get that with rosé. Even in Provence, one of the reasons they have there's two types of rosés. It's aperitif and gastric. Gastric is to have with, with food. Aperitif is to have on its own. Um, this kind of works well as, as both. It's really cool. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to it with that's coming out. Uh, I mean, one of the things really cool about, about Rosé and about Provence, you know, we think of Rosé now like it's the whole Rosé all day culture, and um, every time I say that, my wife always laughs. She's like, I can use it. But it's, it's, it's true, it's a thing. Like, And I know, you know, everyone knows that Adam is kind of fetish with, with Rosé, um, and uh, I really enjoy Rosé quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I enjoy Rosé quite a bit, um, and Rosé Island, uh, rest in peace, but anyway, uh, in fact, every time we actually, or every time I post anything with Rosé, I always hashtag Rosé Island from the Golden Girls, it's just my thing, um, and I've been doing it for years, but, you know, the history of, of Rosé is, it's, it's been around for quite a while. I mean, like the Romans first settled here. I think they call it like Western Provincia, right? Like our province. And because it's sandy soils, they, it, the, the grapes just don't develop the pigment. So the wines just naturally have low pigment. And like the Romans drank rosé. Yeah. Um, we will tell Chiro that. 
and they just cranked out some really good food. More of like traditional Italian American food, which is obviously you know different than, than traditional Italian food, taking the ingredients that you need that you have here to make to make food for your family. But she would walk around with jugs of like 1.5 wines that cost nine bucks a bottle. And they tasted great in that restaurant. Um, and she would, and it was, they're all Italian, and, you know, spoiler alert, $9 Montepulciano de Bruzzo in a 1.5 is going to be delicious, no matter where you're at. Yeah. It just, they, they're just good ones. But, you know, she would come over and just start pouring more for you. I'm like, oh, I'm all set. She's like, I don't care. She'd like pour you another glass. She said, yeah? Yeah, she said, yeah. I, 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 yeah, she's too good. Um, she understands me. You know, but, uh, I forgot what I was doing with that. Um... The environment, the environment, exactly. Thank you for bringing this back. So, you know, what, what I think is really kind of cool about that, that, that idea, the concept of like being in a place is that the whole experience is like, but it's funny because I was at a, a retail store and I was doing an event and the buyer at the store, right, saying, say, who was, or, uh, they had um, told this crowd of people that naturally we add more sulfites to the wine in the United States and that they don't do that in Europe at all. Um, and they only do it for the American market. And the wines that we get here are different than the ones you get in Europe. And I... Did you correct I, 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 I almost I almost threw up. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it hurt my head. It was just awful. That, that's not the reality. That is not true. The wines that you get in Europe... In fact, actually, I had a winemaker from uh, Alto Adige tell me that the wines in the United States that came from Italy were better here than Italy. Because when they come here, they're, they, they go into big container trucks. They go down to eventually a port. And then they go in a boat, and then the boat goes to rough oceans, and then it comes uh, to you know a warehouse in New Jersey, and then it comes up here to Massachusetts, and then it goes to our warehouse, it's moved around to the on the truck to the restaurant or the retail store, and that that can intensify the aging of the wine a little bit. Like so, the same reason why when you know we pour wine, um, we swirl it. We're adding air to it, right? That's like the whole idea is aerated. And um, that's exactly what he was saying would happen every single time he came into the United States and he had his wines from the same vintage here. He always preferred them to the wines in Italy because they were just, they were, they were a late. And that's cool. Italy, the wines needed another year or two to actually develop. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, so, sure. Yeah. I think they've gone into sulfites. Yeah, as a quick note, like, we can get bogged down in this talk for a long time. People, actual sulfite allergy that have a legitimate issue with it. I, my, my hot aches for you because there are so many things you can't have. Sulfites on the wine, why it's there, why it became like a king in many ways was uh, the teetotaler in Congress who wanted to, you know, add that stigma to a bottle and they got it passed. And it is an additive. If you do add a sulfite, 
Pizza by Bone oh. is this fabulous Neapolitan pizza place in Hyannis. If any of you, I know, uh, apparently we're really hot in Germany. We love all of you. Like, you're, you're fabulous. <laughs> but if, if you're ever, you know, vacation to Cape Cod and you come to Hyannis, Pizza by Bone is absolutely fabulous. Neapolitan style pizza. They have an oven that gets to a thousand degrees over there. We were actually going to shoot where you could see the oven, but the noise from the oven was too loud, so we had to come to a different spot in the restaurant. <laughs> um, husband and wife team, uh, Jason and Ali O'Toole, absolutely fabulous. Actually, young Clark, uh, who at this point might be six, he's a, uh, he's a policy major to my son. Just a fabulous family, just doing amazing things. Oh my God. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, like these, these guys are dedicated to their pie. I'm not kidding. So if you if you're doing takeout and you're driving more than 15 minutes because it's a it's a thousand degree oven and it's kind of cool and you're doing takeout, what they will tell you is let us know that when you order. We will four fifths of the way bake it. We won't cut it. So when you get home, pop it in a 425 degree oven for like three minutes. And it'll finish cooking, pull it out, then cut it, and it'll be just like you made it in our oven. Because if they cut it and cook it fully, you bring it home and you put it in the oven, it'll it'll burn some more, it'll get it'll dry out a little bit, it won't be as good. So they're like they're dedicated. And just as an aside, because my son has a has a dairy thing, he can't have dairy. These guys make their own dairy-free cashew-based cheese in-house, and they have the best gluten-free dough I've ever had. My wife at one point was thought she had gluten intolerance and was not doing gluten. So, um, to the point where when I brought a pizza home and she ate it, she yelled at me because I gave her the wrong one. Had to have had gluten crust. Like no, no. That's the, <laughs> so uh, family-friendly, allergy-friendly stuff's just awesome. Uh, and they just brought us pizza, so I'm going to stop talking now yep. so I can eat. Yeah, no, you go for it. Um, no, this is really good. I wish I didn't eat all this pizza. Snickers on the right over here because I was like, so hungry this morning. I'm, I'm so going to eat this. Uh, this is this is incredible. Uh, my only regret is that I live about an hour and a half from here, so this is probably one of the only times in the near future I'll be able to actually have this, but this is like really, I might even take the drive down just to have this. It's really good. Or spend more time on the cable. I'll start calling uh, Carrie and, and Ryan and tell them to take around right. places just so I can come here. Um, so on, Adam is, you know, stuffing his face uh, like a monster. Yeah. Like a monster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about my wine. Uh, this is a new wine into the American market. Um, this is from a winery called Luturel, and this family dates back to 1620. So they're celebrating their 402nd year anniversary as a wine winery, um, but they're having their 400th anniversary party this year because of COVID. And the, the back story is that the, I guess not the most romantic story, but the tax collector for uh, King Louis was this guy, Lajurel, and acquired some money. But then found on this estate in this small little appellation. And actually, there's a picture of him. Of, I might have it in my, my bag or it's in my car. I'll show you later. He looks like Brian May from Queen. Like his wig was like huge and curly. It went down to, you know, way past the shoulders. Um, so every time I was working with a gentleman from uh, from the importer this past week, and every time we'd go into an account, he would show the picture. I'm like, Brian May, it's Brian May from Queen. That's awesome. Um, but they settled in this small little area called Cabernet, 
cover this is this obscure appellation in the south of France in the area called the Languedoc, which Languedoc means like literally it translates for the language of, of water. Um, because the dialect in this area was very different than the people in than uh, the Parisian dialect. And so there's a different dialect for the people there. And they have it, I forget what it's called, it's like Langla something else. Um, this is a unique appellation because it is somewhere in between the Bordeaux region, which is Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and the, um, Chateau Pénétier, um, so it's a 400-year-old estate, all estate fruit. Uh, this is what they call the terroir d'altitude, which is their high, higher elevated vineyards, so around 400 meters of sea level. Um, you get that influence of the Mediterranean in the morning, which is intense heat, but you get very, very cold weather by two or three o'clock. It's um, sweat weather. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> why not? And so, like, it gets super cold at that point. So people put on sweaters and jackets, um, and that puts a lot of stress on the vine and it creates wines that are really fresh. Um, it's mostly clay, limestone soil, so they don't have the sandy soils they'll have in Provence. And it's the only appellation that requires lettuce you can have requires a combination of Bordeaux varietals. Um, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, Malbec, which they grow all of those, and Rhone varieties, or, or Mediterranean varieties, Syrah, Grenache, Mouvedra, Sanso, Carignan. And you have to be a blend of these, either 50-50 or 60-40. So they have a kind of an entry-level point that is 60% Bordelais and 40% Rhone. This is 30% Syrah, 20% Grenache, and then 30% Merlot and 20% Cap Franc, which gives it this nice look quality. And then another 12 months or so on, um, in large oak barrels. So, I was going to ask him questions that he answered all, all my questions before I could even get That's there. That's my job. He saw me eating and he just kept talking. But, this is a great, so many and I... Give Napa a hard time, right? Jean Jean Charles Boisset came on, told us we shouldn't. Lots of great reasons. We're still going to because we are. We, are. we don't, you know, as much as we love the wines, we don't give Bordeaux enough nonsense. You know, nonsense either. I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them some right now. One of the reasons why a wine like this, this is a very affordable wine, is so good because this wine is. Stunning for the price. It's going to be on if you're if you're buying this in a retail store, fifteen bucks ish. You know, give or take a couple of bucks. Great, great value. Why is it great value? So, it's really interesting. We've talked before about how the history of uh, the world is the history of wine. Well, Bordeaux has the rivets that go to the Atlantic, where all the trading happened, right? So in this particular, so in Southwest France, which is an Appalachian, and then the language of Arkansas, we're trying to go up to Britain, up to Northern Europe. You had to go by water. You had to go by Bordeaux. 
And those guys put additional tariffs or taxation on anything coming up in the south of France. So, look, is this wine a, a first growth Bordeaux? No, I'm not going to, to that extent. But there's some phenomenal quality wines in southwest France. Mm -hmm. In this area, in the Languedoc, in Roussillon as well, that haven't gained the prestige and therefore have not gained the price tag that similar quality wines in Bordeaux might have gotten because Bordeaux controlled the trade route and therefore helped control exposure and pricing. You can find a lot of phenomenal values in, in Languedoc. Southwest France. Yeah. So, um, this was because we were talking about one of the wines earlier. Yeah. I mean, this, this would actually be more like 20, 25. Yeah. But, um, but even that wine, I mean, we were showing it this week. Different restaurants, different retail stores, small retail stores. And we sold out of it because it's such, such an amazing value. But, um, It. Oh, oh, so even with Bordeaux, with those chateaus like Lafitte, Latour, um, the the first growths, what we call them, which was, you know, this was something that that um, maybe we'll do a Bordeaux podcast, but it basically was like a because um, it is an important. Like I'm not going to throw a Bordeaux shade. It is an important appellation. I do like the wines of Bordeaux, but they are overvalued. I would say, um, for about at least, there's a lot of good affordable Bordeaux, but when you get to that 40, 50, 60 dollar bottle, you're paying a lot for a name. Um, so in 1855, Napoleon III had this, it was like the Expedition de Paris, it was basically like the World's Fair for the French, basically to help bolster uh, enthusiasm in French culture because imagine the French people not feeling crap but they were they were not what I know they were not feeling that's a thing that's yeah they were not feeling crap at the point right there was um, people were disillusioned and so he said we're gonna have this big fair and everyone's gonna get super excited about French things and so they contacted these wineries in Bordeaux specifically um, wineries in an area called the Meadow which is what we call the left bank of the left bank of the Grand River, which is more Cabernet-based wines, typically. The right bank is more Merlot-based. They only ask wineries from the Meadow to come. And Oprion, which is actually a little further south. But because it was such a famous wine, like Thomas Jefferson used to greet people with a glass of Oprion, in one hand with no shoes because he wanted to be a man of the people drinking one of the most prestigious wines in the world. Nice try. Wow, 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 Nice try. Um, so, but anyways, like, they basically were asked to send in, like, I think five cases of wine from these chateaus. And they, it wasn't a panel where they were judging the taste of the wine as much as the market value of the wine. And so the classification system was really based on, at that point, in 1855, how expensive those wines were. And that changed, I think, the dynamic within Bordeaux. Um, you, you can go to a winery in Burgundy, actually, um, Nicolas Lodrell apparently is a fanatic about soils. And although he is a marquis in France, um, he goes into 
<laughs> he goes into the vineyards. He gets his hands, you know, in shit. Um, he travels coach. Apparently, when he travels, he travels coach. He doesn't have to probably buy the plane, but he travels coach because he wants to. He wants to be with people and and doesn't want to isolate himself from people, which I think is is pretty cool. But um, you know, so here you go out the vineyard road are farmers. You go to Cook Farms, the vineyard road are farmers. The vineyard roads are farmers. Um, I mean, imagine young Charles Boisse with like you know giant boots to go slop around yeah. in mud, but he he would. He already told us that he shaves his legs for peachots, you know, and um, it's the only time his wife will touch his legs, apparently. But in Bordeaux, you go to the door and like tweak suits. I think that it's a very different mentality. Um, and so here, I think you get some of the characteristic of Bordeaux, you get the generosity of fruit from the South of France, which I think makes it super enjoyable. It's a pretty wine. It's a, so we actually had the chance to Try these. Um, it was September. Oh, that was, that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I happened to just come into the. You know, again, if you've listened to us before, you know, me and I work for a distributor, wholesale. I was in the office. Mm. He's like, hey, are you here? Come taste these wines. We might be getting them. I think I told you. If you're in the office, come down to the office. I think that's what I said. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, we're trying wine. Okay, cool, great, let's do it. And I was so impressed with the spread that we got. It's it's so, these, we're creatures of habit, right? We love to find uh, something that, there's a reason chains exist. Because we're creatures of habit. We want to know that when we walk into restaurant X, that the steak that we order is going to be the exact same steak that we had the last time we had. Or the, uh, if it's more of a casual dining experience, the, the, the French fry that we got is going to be the exact same as the one that we had in two states ago. And that's okay. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for that. Want that in, in our wine too in many instances because you want to know when you buy something that's going to be good. You want the hot pots of buying more for wine, but it's also one of the reasons many I love old wine. Vintage to vintage, plot to plot, it's going to be different. And when you find a producer like this that is committed to quality. Yeah, you might not like everything they do, but you're never going to be offended by one of their wines, which is really important. Is that it's the there's a big difference between no, oh, you know, I'll, I'll drink this, but it's not for me. And that's that, that, that's that. And you can find a lot of these cool values that, that change up and are different and are fun and unique without spending that high dime by seeking out. Languedoc wines, Rousillon wines, Southwest France wines. Uh, you know, if you can find them, Provençal. I'm on your Rosé today, but there are whites and reds from Provence that are absolutely beautiful. Now, you can find these things in, in, the, in the little hidden gems that you can come back to. And yeah, you, will, you probably won't get the consistency vintage after vintage, but that's part of the fun. And again, the, the quality is there. 
So it might be different, but you're not going to be offended by it. So it, it's, you can still appreciate it for what it is. And you know, I have to wait the next minute. I want, you know, it, that, it's not, it's, again, it's not a $100 order or a, a, a $200 burgundy. Or, you know, like, you buy a $200 Chassan Yaman, you're shitting. You're going to be a little disappointed if it's not what you wanted yeah. it to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you and buy a $25 model of white Provence, like, it's, yeah, it's, oh, that's not what I wanted, but it's still good. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that, like, one of the, the, the cool things is that even with those wines that are more expensive, that in, in areas that are at very challenging climates, like Burgundy, you know, which is, I had a um, lunch with Fredicuati on Monday, who's the one from Louis Really, super awesome guy, very engaging, very knowledgeable. Really, I was there with a retailer and two restaurants, and uh, two restaurant uh, buyers, myself, Christian, who's the, the French wine specialist for Cobran, the portfolio manager, Matt Brown, and a local for Cobran. So there's eight of us sitting in this room at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant and in Boston. And um, it was so interesting to get his take. And <laughs> to me, what was most profound was, so 2021, and Adam had this really great um, video on this last year. 2021 Vintage was hit with horrible frost. Devastating. So much so that, that producers in Chablis, like Albert Bichot, who was the importer for this one, they have an estate called Lum de which is the oldest estate in Chablis, lost 75% of their fruit. And the fruit that they would buy from growers for their entry-level wine was double the price and more expensive than their domain wine, which is unheard of. And it's interrupt too. In Chablis, that is an area that is prepared for frost. Mm -hmm. That is someone who knows frost to come. And it still happened. And that same frost happened in places like the Rome where they're not prepared for it because they don't get frost. Like it was bad. Like it, it was yeah. really, really bad. It was like you'll see it in you know March 2022, and it was $67 to fill up my gas tank today coming down. We'll see that same price increase on your wines of Burgundy within the next six, seven months. It's just, it's devastating. But, um, but even in those challenging years, those high-end wines are still, they're not like, this. like, this was great last year, that one sucks. No, they're still great wines, but it's a different, it's a different level of complexity. You know, so like, um, I would say a great year, a bad year in, in Napa is a great year in Napa because the, the climate is much more challenging. But here, yeah. we're getting some of that Mediterranean influence. We're getting that warmth. They call the Languedoc wine lake in um, in France because they produce so much wine here. And people typically think of this region, think of Provence and Provence Rosés. They think of uh, wines from the Languedoc, or what they call the Vindepe wines, which basically means like the country ocean wine for all intents and purposes. Um, did I use that right? Did I say that right? Intense purpose? Intensive purpose? Intense purpose? Okay, I always say intensive purpose in my head. And I'm one of those guys. Yeah. I was going to let it go. I point out your accent all the time, so I think it's fair. Um, but 
people kind of lump the wines along with that into that very simple entry level point. But there are three main, there are three levels to those wines. There are the coastal wines, coastal range, which is low altitude, a ton of sunlight, um, super ripe grapes, over overly sweet sometimes, or high alcohol. They're great sometimes as a, like a restaurant, Eastern Port. They're like straightforward. It's kind of what you know maybe you want to have with like pizza, for example. Um, they're not. Dumpy ones, oh, they're really good wines, but they're inexpensive and they produce a lot of oil. Um, and then you have the mid range, but then you have where we are, which is high altitude on the hillsides. Um, you know, you have the, the it's called Matang Noir, which is like the Black Mountains of the, of the, uh, of Massif Central. You have the Pyrenees, you have these cold winds that come down from the Atlantic and it creates a lot of freshness in the wine, but you get that warmth in the morning that creates the fruit structure. Um, and uh, yeah, this to me was one of the, the big big surprises. I initially instinctually call it, instead of cover this, I call it Cardi B, but instead of an W-A-P, it's an AOC, which is the Appellation Origin. <laughs> I said that I said that joke uh, to the um, sales team on on Friday. And, yeah, it's one of those moments when when our boss Dave looked down a little bit, and you can see the top of his head because he doesn't have hair on the top of his head, and he'll never listen to this, so I can say that. Um, you can see it red, top of his head, and um, but the sales team. So. And that makes them want to pull the wine and show some counts and sell it, then I'm happy with that. Right. It's, it's really pretty. It's really pretty. It's really pretty cool. It's, it's like, so this, this is what's cool. So that's actually not the pistachio. That is the, uh, the ricotta and arugula. Uh, so we have, we have pepperoni and honey. We have ricotta and arugula. Rosé when the pizza came, 
when I was before him. Was before him. I, I thought it did a really nice job of preparing. And it just things that surprise you, you know, the rules for pairing wine with food. The, the, the rule is try it because if it could work, you have no idea. Like, yeah, there are there are hot and fast rules that will make sense in, in one regard. You could try something and be completely blown away by how how well it works. Yeah. And like, I mean, there's a rule on that on that white pie that we're having. I did not think that the uh, the off line would go with it, and it it sings. Like the pizza's gonna be gone. What I'm trying to say is. Would be gone already. We'd have to talk to you. That's how good the beats is right now. I'm working on it right now. I know. I am too. <laughs> but I mean, you're still right. Like, and you had said this when we did our glorious harmonious <clears throat> podcast back in November, talking about the pairings. Ultimately, it's what you like. But when you find wines that work with the myriad of food, it's it's kind of magical because you know you can have a party. You know you know you can um, <clears throat> have a mixture of different foods, and you find wines that work with everything. Um, one thing that it works really well, I think, works really well with wines like both of these, is sashimi. So we think sake and and, and sushi. Which, yes, works, but I was at this um, awesome sake bar yesterday called the Koji Club, which I mentioned before, <clears throat> that they just opened up, and I have to give a shout out to Alyssa because she had this concept to do a sake bar in Boston for many years, and through COVID, it's the ingenuity of this restaurant industry, and hopefully we'll get Jason here and talk about this, is incredible because... And I don't think we've even, I don't think I've even processed, you know, the last two years. I think what I do, I'm just going to melt and break down for like three weeks. <clears throat> I'm going to be unreachable sobbing. Um, but to have a concept, especially a, a sake bar that's only sake, and <clears throat> through a pandemic, and then do what she did was pop up. So she go to restaurants or she'd go to retail stores and partner with them and sell sake. Um, to come out on the other side with this, I was there last night dropping out some, some uh, a case of sake and was tasting them on a couple different things. And I told her, like, it's just such a, it's, it's incredible. It's a testament to to the ingenuity and care in what I'm going to get all metaphysical or, or emotional. Do it, man. I'm, I'm the one who normally does that. So I know. Please go right ahead. No, but like to, to come out on the other side and have this great concept. We're in this restaurant now here in Hyannis that has been to go only for two years. Um, you know, Jason has had a, a food truck and does parties. And I was talking to Jen Cole, who works with us, who had. They they did her 50th birthday party, which I'm assuming was just which I, it was, it was, I'm assuming it was just 10 years from now. <laughs> so it's in the future. It was, it was in a it was a band party. Yeah, that's right. And um, she was like, they made like 50 pizzas in 10 minutes, and it was just absolutely incredible. And like that innovation of um, 
dealing with a terrible situation and creating, recreating, redevelopment is, is inspiring. Where I was going with that <laughs> was <coughs> sushi and wine is actually great, but these, and specifically these wines with sushi, because of the minerality, because of the acidity, um, is something that would work really well. So you don't always have to be pigeonholed into like, I'm having Italian food, I have to have Italian wine. I had pasta last night, and we drank wine from uh, Minervois. Actually, no, I ended up drinking more wine from Italy, but I sent you. But we started with Minervois from, sure. from the same producer, from the same area. And it was great. Um, you know, think outside the box a little bit. Drink what you like, but challenge yourself to drink a little better. And to circle back, trust your trust your establishment. Like, one of the cool things about the restaurant industry in general, and the you know, I have friends who are they're going to be lifelong bartenders, getting asked like, what's their real job. This this is their real job. There is a, we don't do it that way, it's different, but service is their job. Like, making your night special, meeting new people, making their night special, giving them a memorable experience, making their evening, whatever it is, their job. We don't sell the wine, but this was before he sold the wine. Joe Ka tells a story every time he does a wine event. Joe lives on Cape, great guy. Uh, used to work with our president when they were both a different company. And told the story about how one of the nights he was sobbing in a restaurant. This guy walked in, fancy restaurant, Joe was a sobbing. And the guy walked in without a sport coat. It was a requirement. The guy's just like sweating bullets. Joe comes up and goes, You need a sport coat. You got an extra one in the office. It won't fix you, but you can get to the table with it, take it off. Sport, right? Tyson stuff. Um, and the wine list, looking at it, clearly knows nothing about what he's doing, which happens a lot. Like, it's tough to look at a wine list and start doing what you're doing. And so Joe came over, and the, the gentleman at the table pointed to the cheapest bottle of wine in the menu and said, How is this? And Joe, being who he is, he committed to service, goes, that's a fabulous selection. And right back with the Came over, did this whole song and dance for them because he knew the guy was nervous and did what. And left the table, came back. The guy was a nervous wreck. He was proposing to his girlfriend that night. And he was a complete <laughs> Couldn't afford the spoke toy. He didn't want to the wine. But because that restaurant was committed to the experience, giving those people a memorable evening. Those, those two don't, don't remember it was the cheapest bottle of menu on uh, one of the menu because it's there. It's providing that service and lifting you up and, and making us all feel special. It's those are the restaurants you should hold on to and keep to. Well, and, and who's, who selected that one? It was the song, it was yeah. the beverage director, right? They're like, all right, this is a great value and I want to give a value right. to my customers. And they're only going to put that one, they should, not always. They should only put that wine on if they believe in it. Um, I, you know, I used to run restaurants, you know, once upon a time, as Adam was mentioning, they don't drink my rosés, but 
you know, I had wines that were inexpensive. And they were not bad wines. They were what they should be. You know, to me, there, there are certain wines that should be like the, I would always call them the wedding wines. Go to a wedding, the wine should be non-offensive, it should speak of its varietal, it should be pleasant, enjoyable, but not take away from the conversation. If you're thrown down and you're getting a bottle of wine that is $1,000, or five, which they're out there, or 500 bucks, or 150 bucks, or whatever, out of your price range, or, you know, I'm going to treat myself, I can't really afford it, but I'm going to do it, then you've got to stop and listen to that one, because... It's, it's, it's a broader experience, not just of the wine itself, but what, how hard you work. We all work really hard, you know? I work my job, I, you know, I work 50 hours a week, I put in extra hours. Um, you know, treat, as, as Philippe Andre said, treat yourself. But when you treat yourself, you gotta listen to it. And if not, if you just want something that's good, that's enjoyable, trust the song. Trust the store. Know that they're not, if it's a good restaurant, if it's a good retail store, know that they're not throwing, you know, pardon me, expressing shit at the wall because it'll stick and someone's dumb enough to buy it. They care about your experience. Yeah. And especially when you go to smaller independent restaurants and retailers, it's really, they're, they're not going to put something on because that's going to sell what I think is stupid. Jason is never going to do that with any of the food or any. We just tasted a bunch of cocktails with Jason, and he's not going to put anything on that he doesn't believe. Yeah. Absolutely not. It's the, he tells you when he doesn't like something. Mm-hmm. And the menu is small. The menu is small because, you know, it's the, there's, a, there's a place for places that have a menu that is nine pages long. I like those places. I especially like the one I've had too much to drink <laughs> uh, in college, and I can Uber to them. But, in, but really, there is a, the, the menu here is, is small because this is what I do. I'm going to do well every single time. That doesn't mean that it doesn't change. And he showcases different skills and different, different style of pizzas and appetizers. So, it's not going to get so big that what comes out isn't something that you would serve. Yeah. And you know it's going to be good when you see the owner and the chef when you walk into the restaurant spackling things, which is actually what he's doing now. He's cleaning the floor. Um, and I guess I'm going to go ask him in a second. Yeah. Give him some challenges. But uh, I think that, that that's special. Would I be able to get the pizza that's either not cooked or like halfway. So what we do, like, if you're a regular customer and you're going to take it home, what we do... It's an hour and a half drive. Yeah, see, when you put in the order, it's online, I do a parvig. So we'll be like 90% of the way there. We'll leave if it's a pizza that has toppings, like a arugula, you know, red, all that stuff will be on this side. So when you get home, it'll be uncut as well. So you get home, pop your oven on 500 and throw it in the oven for three minutes. That's it. Take it out, cut it, and top it just as we do. And it's... It's very close to having it come out of the oven here. And that's what, you know, a lot of people do. And we have a little infographic that we send a lot of times with all of our pizzas and tells them about, about the style of pizza, about a restaurant, but then also about how to reheat or, you know, if you want to have your pizza bar cooked. Um, we do a ton of that, actually. You're out of gas, too, I think. <laughs> you could be getting close. 
So Jay, you can tell how well Manny pays attention to me when I talk, because I told him that for the podcast. <laughs> like, they're so committed to their pizza, they tell you how to, you know. No, so if you're super excited about our expansion, um, like, you know, if you had been to this restaurant before, just, you know. you want to do some Like, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I've just been, like, you know, busting at the seams in terms of, like, you know, space. And I've always liked that because I always felt like it was, we were, like, Brooklyn or New York, where you're, you know, you're this close to, you know, nobody in your party, but it was kind of fun. Um, and we liked that, but we really needed more space. And, you know, this gives us the opportunity to, you know, decorate the place a little different and, uh, you know, get some more outdoor dining. Um, and then, you know, kind of on the, in the back of the house, which, you know, customers really don't care about, but for me, we're having a whole other kitchen we'll put in, you know, another like 1200 square kitchen that has all the toys and gadgets that, yeah, that a chef would want, um, which is super fun. And it's also for the catering as well. So like, you know, we actually started our business with a tiny little oven on a trailer. Like it literally can cook two pizzas, that's it. And we did um, farmer's markets, horse shows, like all public events and for the first year. My wife and I and a couple people would help. And then the second year we did some events and we got some private catering that people hired for like birthday parties. And after that, that's when we built the restaurant. So since we had the restaurant, we were able to advertise in the restaurant for the catering and vice versa, we're at a party, like, oh, we have a restaurant. So kind of, they grew each other by advertising and we you know, got two food trucks, uh, another mobile oven, we got a mobile bar, which is pretty cool. It's like a that's awesome. 1960s like Shasta camper and it's got beer taps in there. So it really lends itself to weddings, which we do 40, 50 weddings a season. Um, so that's quite busy. So that kitchen is gonna help like execute the prep for all that stuff. It's gonna be awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was doing the introduction with you, but that was great information. So I'm just gonna <laughs> let that go because that was everything right there. But uh, this is Jason Latoul from Pizza Barbone. I had enough wine, but I don't remember where I'm at. Um, this is amazing pizza. And the question I have for you ultimately is we were talking about this a little bit. How did you have to shift and pivot for the last two years? Um, we did a lot. So prior to COVID, what you're saying that I'm going to have this yeah. last piece? Because you've had it before. <laughs> prior to COVID, we only did about 10 to 12 percent of our sales just take out. So you know, I want to make money, but I also want to have like integrity in the food. And you know, frankly, our pizza is so much better directly out of the oven and your plate and you know into you instead of going in a box. So we never really pushed it to go and really I enjoyed people coming in dining. Yeah we probably did more uh, sales sending it out but it didn't really I'd rather just have people coming in. So pre-COVID 10-12% takeout and then COVID hit and at that point too we didn't have online ordering. So and I remember it was my birthday. So it was March 7th, it was like March 8th, it was Sunday maybe. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Um, we were with our friends and then like this kind of this COVID thing like just happened. I remember talking to a couple buddies and I'm like, it's gonna get really crazy. And then uh, we instantly initiated like online ordering, got that set up and I knew it was going like in a bad place and we went directly to 100% takeout. Because uh, at that point, nobody, you know, we all thought we were gonna die. You know, we really didn't know. So it was, Basically, doors locked on both sides. You came to the front door. I did it. And there was a table on yeah, the front, right? Yeah, right. Real life, like, you know, here's your pizza, and that's it. Um, and we did really well, frankly. Like, you know, it was me running with um, 
my sous chef and like one other person and we like ranked it out. We did like three nights or four nights a week. And you know, at that point we were doing like 400, 450 beats tonight. It was insane. So it's really good. Um, we changed the dough a little bit. We cooked the pieces a little bit longer knowing that they're gonna be in a box. You know, a lot of our dishes, we took off the menu or changed because we know they're going in plastic containers and you know, the steam affects it. So we kind of took off stuff that doesn't travel well. Um, and then I think that summer we did take out the window and we had outdoor dining and they had tables out here. There's still no indoor dining, I believe. I can't remember if it's all blurred. Um, so that one we're doing, you know, take out, but also online ordering. And then fall, then that winter we got to dine in a little bit. And then that summer, um, the second summer, last summer, we dealt with the labor shortage. So at that point we had, it's horrible. It's like, you know, we've been, this, this Father's Day will be 10 years in business at the restaurant, 12 for the catering. And we've worked really hard at it. I love our restaurant. I love working with my wife, Allie, who's an amazing partner. Um, she really, at the beginning, was kind of handling the front of house and catering, but the catering got so big that she can no longer deal with anything in the front of house. So she's solely focused on catering where we do in the neighborhood of 200 to 250 events in a season. So in a year, you know, that's a lot of it's grouped between June and September. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we love it. We love being here. It was just, it's, everything just got so crazy with COVID. And with no labor, last year, I think we, I think we're open five days a week. Um, and like altered the hours as well. Whereas, you know, every year until COVID, we were seven days a week, all year round. The only snowstorm would shut us down. And if that sometimes I'd open up, even when there's a snowstorm, people would still come in. Um, but it was very difficult. And the labor thing is just, it's crazy. And it was the same, you know, I'm not telling a different story than any other restaurant operator it's the same thing um, so we changed the menu and streamlined it and we did that up until august and then in august we lost a lot of our college kids the young girls from the house um, some of our seasonal people came once and then we shut the restaurant down because we had so much catering thankfully we were grateful for it from september to october you know 50 60 events in each month we didn't have enough staff to do those, which are commitments, and they're like big events. Like we have to be there and also do the restaurant. So we decided, you know, just do the catering and then focus on uh, this expansion, which, like everything else, started later than it should have, taken longer than it should have, costing four times as much, you know. Um, but it's not anything different than anybody's going through, so I'm not trying to say, like, I'm, you know, what was me. Yeah, but, but like, it's, your, it's your experience, though, right? Like, yeah. It's been, yeah. You know, so how long? I find this fascinating. How have the customers been with you guys? Are you getting a lot of the angry, my pizza was soggy when I got home? Well, you're always going to have some of that. You had that when you were on my menu. Yeah, we, we, we always had that. Like, I can tell like, people have been, have they been understanding or have they been I think they've been all right. Um, you know, maybe last year when we had some people coming in and dining, you know, there's some instances where people get flacked to some of our front of house, especially like we employ last year. Part of my biggest hiring was 14 to 60 year olds, and they were amazing. Like, they were awesome. I did this online job interview, job fair, um, and we hired a bunch of girls in the front house that did busing and hostessing, and a bunch of boys that were in the back house that did um, dishwashing. Some of them I didn't think they could even like lift up a glass rack. <laughs> you know, they were like so like tiny, but they both of them both they had like. The girls had great attitudes, great smiles, were like personal to the customers. The boys that came back, like they hustled out. Like one night we lost power and they're like, like let's just wash dishes by hand. And I'm like, 
All right. Yeah, they, they, they took it. Yeah, it was awesome. So um, having them was great, but like some of the customers would give some of those girls a tough time. And, you know, as a, as a, like an operator and like a dad um, now, I also feel responsible for like the younger people working for me. Yeah. So like I get very defensive. Like no, I will, we do not take any, Good. You know, you should shit yeah. from sorry from no, the time. And you know, like you shouldn't and like yeah, you may say the customer's already right, but if you're like yelling at a fifteen year old, like there's no way. I remember I was working in this restaurant in Somerville and I had one of the I was the GM and I had the assistant manager, AGM, um, go work with the host who were all nineteen, eighteen year old and I was like, you need to be up there with them. She said, no, she's kind of with her, like, no. They're, like, people are getting angry. I gotta do X, Y, and Z. I can't have but I need you up there. Because we have to be the buffer. She's like, what's their job to take that? I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's our job as managers to take that. Yeah. Or it's, 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 it's not our job, but it's part of the job. This is an 18-year-old, just finishing high school, young woman. It's her first real job, and she's dealing with someone who is 30 years old and pretty young. Because they have to wait. No, it's not okay. But uh, it's, but it's awesome that it's a lot of people don't. Oh, no, yeah, you deal with it. You lose the money. No, I don't. There's plenty of business, and like, you know, we've had instances where people give us a time, like, just leave me. Like, we, don't, we don't need your business here. Plus, you know, like I, like I said, I feel like a real responsibility to the young people who work for us. Um, and we we actually like email the parents of all the kids who work for us, you know, kind of introduce ourselves to their new employees, let them know about us. Um, you know, it's cool. You know, people know restaurant businesses or restaurant businesses. There's usually, you know, drugs and alcohol going on. Uh, we don't do any, like, there's none of that at a restaurant. Like, there's no shift drinks at the end of, end of in the service. Uh, it's This is a business place. And, like, I want people to, you know, parents know that their kids are here and not worried about something going on in that kitchen or something like that. Yeah. So I feel like a real responsibility. I, I can speak to this actually. <clears throat> I, I did something when I was a sales rep. I, I, did a, I did a little tasting here after hours. That's where was going to be here. And you had someone who was not up to snuff. You, I remember correctly, we ended at like 10 o'clock. You walked the young woman out to her car. You wanted to make sure she was safe. She was alone. Make sure she was safe. Got her in a cop. Or her cab or whatever it was. I don't think it was a cop. Yeah. And uh, I was cab. Got her in the cab. Broke the window down and said, I'm happy last paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, because we don't, we don't do that. Yeah. So, uh, one is like, yeah. you know, it's my livelihood. I've worked all my life to have this place, and I don't need something that, you know, can take away from me. But yeah, we, we run like a really, I, I love it. We run a really soft business um, and we love the people that work for us. Like once you come in, they're like our family, like you're part of the family, like we'll do anything for you. Um, and, you know, I think if you'd ask anybody that works for us, they'd say, say the same, you know? Um, and like now we have a small child, five-year-old, and he comes to the restaurant. So it's, I want to be a place where he can come in too and everybody's fine. We have a little guy running around. And, I was telling the story before you popped on that I, I remember when Black was born, it was four because it was around Fourth of July. <laughs> yeah. And you, you forgot to order wine. And you called me the Friday of Fourth of July weekend. You're like, Adam, I brought to order wine. Oh my god. I'm like, 
we were having a meeting, but you were all broken up because you forgot to order wine over worry about your kid. Like, dude, what you, your, your wife and your child is more important. You did the right thing. Like, don't, well, we'll just tell me what you need. We'll figure it out. But yeah. it was just that. But then the reaction was the restaurant doesn't know. Those kids don't know. Right. If this is there, can you help? And it just, it, it just speaks to what you were saying. Not in, in that moment, or just an amazing moment, the child being born. Yeah. I can't abandon the, Ten people who are watching the restaurant and told me, "Well, I have to have this right. life-changing." Yeah, it's fine. We would say, "Like this is our first baby." Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, I will say that was like a very unique experience having our child because you know he's very healthy, but it went wrong during birth, and we ended up having to go to NICU for two weeks up in um, Tufts, which those nurses and doctors are amazing. And you know, at that point in my career, like I never really let anything go. At least the chef, like I had to be here every day. Like I had to cook. I never really like let go of the reins. A little bit of a pro free. Yeah. <laughs> Most chefs. It's not a bad thing, right? I think when you own it, it's not a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. But then I basically was like, listen, I called up my sous chef. That was under him, another guy. I'm like, I'm not coming back for two weeks. You know, I don't know if I'm coming back, so just do what you gotta do. And they all stepped up and like slated. Like it was. That's the testament to, I think, two things. I think them as individuals and not to take away from individuals at all but also when you give and i used to do this wholeheartedly when running restaurants when you give your employees agency when you give them um ownership they don't disappoint right they really like once in a while you have one or two people but they really don't disappoint they but it's hard for people to do that and it was a that was a serious like pivoting point in my career when that like that happened. I know it was like the worst thing that could ever happen to us, but then and he's all he's fine. But then like the best thing for like the business to see like okay like I don't have to be here yeah. every single day. But probably also the best thing for you and for your family. Yeah. Too. Absolutely. You got to be home, you can be home and not and know that you have people that not just have your back, but they have the back of every person sitting sitting down. Exactly. So when when is the reopening? We're hoping for April first. April first week April. There's you know we're kind of finishing up some decor. We're waiting on some materials and things. And just like everybody else, like there's supposed to be a round table right here. That's what the chairs are in the circle. Um, so there's some things that you guys are having to say on this. So we're getting close. It's looking really good. Like we're you know super proud of everybody that's been working on it and and, and doing a good job. But it's gonna be awesome when it open, reopens. And, like we just want to be ready to go for the summer. It's going to be a, a banner summer and we heard that rentals are basically rented. Um, catering for us is like looking like, you know, insane. It always does. Like we're booking already in 20 for 23 and 24, um, which is awesome. So that business, that side business is, is huge as well. Um, so it's going to be good. I'm excited and nervous. You know, it's stressful. It's just been, you know, spending money and seeing the thing kind of go down by trying to, you know, do all this stuff. But I think it's the right move. Some less restaurants on Main Street and just around in general. So, we lost some restaurants on Main Street. Yeah. We lost a few good ones too. Yeah. I thought we survived. It's tough. Like, you know, you know, with that the COVID thing, it was tough. If you couldn't pivot, and I hate that word, but if you couldn't do it, then figure out a way to put stuff in a box. And luckily, pizza is something that is generally going in a box, anyways. But, you know, you'd have to look at your menu if you were a pizza place and say, like, all right, what can we 
what can we do that's in our genre? I mean, shoot, like even my sous chef, like he's like, he's like, just sell whatever we can sell, and he's like doing Asian dishes. I'm like, I don't care what we do. Like everyone's lucky. Like we did these dinners that were 50, 60 bucks for two people. That was a ton of food, and it was different every week. And he's still doing it now. And sometimes he's doing like a whole Asian menu, and, and people love it, you know. Um, so we're having fun with it, right? I'm really excited to get back to being fully open, having the new kitchen done. We'll have you know a lot more capability to do more stuff in the off season. You know, get back to making pasta. You know, do our pizza making classes here. Like that's so fun. We had. Up until COVID, we were doing these pizza making classes once a month, like January, February, March. Where you come in, we'd make uh, pizza. We had like a big charcuterie display set up. It was, you know, all you can drink booze, <laughs> basically wine, beer. We'd make pizza with you. And you'd stretch it, top it. We'd make it off, and you'd, you'd dine. It was so fun. That's awesome. Like it was. It's funny because it was just a couple, like a week or two ago. I had a bunch of people message me on Instagram or like tag me on photos from that night. They're like two years ago, like you know, last thing we did before COVID. Yeah. Um, which I really has that memory, you know, it's like you know, what you were doing before yeah. when the COVID hit, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're happy to be here and excited to have our new cocktails, to, you know, that Manny came up with and get on our menu and keep everybody happy. Yeah. Good. If you ever want, um, I mean, I can make a batch of cocktails for your next pizza, 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 pizza cocktail kind of thing. I think we need to do, uh, like, here you talk about the sake, I think we need to do, like, a sake cocktail pairing so, with pizza. He he talks about sake yeah, going with pizza all and the time. Well, so, <clears throat> Parmesan cheese, uh, or cheese in general, but aged cheese and tomato sauce has a lot of, not just umami, but MSG. Yep. And it's just natural. And pepperoni, cured meats have MSG. And it plays off the umami flavors that you get in sake. And so, like, when you taste wine, you, you've, different types of acids uh, affect the different parts of your your, body, your mouth. When you taste sake, the umami receptor is awakened. It's in the front of your palate. So you have that with that. Yeah. It's like, I, although like the wines were great, sake and pizza, PB&J. That's the thing. I think it would be, it'd be fun to do. Yeah. People would definitely get a kick out of it. Keep it yeah. different. In, uh, you know, there are no sulfites in, in sake and drink. <laughs> you know, and I'm allergic to those, apparently. <laughs> well, we should probably wrap up because I got to drive back to Boston. Jason, thank you so much for yeah for having us over. I mean, honestly, the pizzas were amazing. Um, and we get to have this one? Did you have the other yeah, one? yeah, yeah, go for it. And we're always working on it. So we're like, we're so excited to have this new kitchen. We have a new mixer. We're going to have a bigger walk-in, you know, way they age dough differently. Um, so all these little expansion things we're doing is going to make our, you know, us in the kitchen efficient, easier, but also be able to do more things and, and change things better. I think that's the best part. Like, it's all about, like, what's the meaning of life? It's to all. Yeah. Right? It's better at what we do. And, and to see you doing that within, you know, the, the face of, of this thing that's not just affected us, but the entire world. And to come out from it better. I'm assuming better because I've only just had this before. Yeah. You know, like that, that's, that's huge. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, like, I don't know, I'm too stubborn, but I'm like, when this happened, I was, I said to my wife and everyone, like, I refuse to fail. I will not fail. Like, I'm going to make this work. I mean, we, we hustled it out like, and did really well. And, you know, I, there's no way that I'm going to stop. Um, 
and you know, you know us at this restaurant, we always reinvest into the restaurant every year. Like we're always refreshing, we're always repainting, we're always doing new stuff, bringing new stuff in. You know, if you look at some other restaurants, it's kind of they just they're here and they never do anything for the next thirty years. Whereas it's so important, I think, to like keep a fresh look, everything clean. Like you go into our bathrooms, like you know, clean bathrooms. Like it sounds so basic, but a lot of people miss that. Oh no, um, I've been in plenty of retail stores through the years. And I know that it is, it is the most disgusting part of a lot of retail stores. Yeah. Go to the bathroom, like, wow. It's like a five-year-old cleans this room. Yeah. That's yeah. well, fine. I mean, I remember growing up, my grandmother would always tell me, like, if you go in the bathroom, it's dirty, the kitchen's even worse. You can't see that, you know, in general. Um, so we always, like, take that to heart. But we always, like, reinvest back in the restaurant and try and just do, you know, good stuff and be creative. Um, you know, enjoy doing it. You know, I love it still. I'm ready to stop putting things in the to-go containers, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Almost there, man. Oh, Almost man. There. I, I, yeah. Well, except for the pizza. The, the, yeah, the, the pizza. The, like, half, yeah. the half pizza that I'm going to make, the, the, the par-baked pizza. Yeah. I'm going to order in a minute. Because um, it's pizza night for my son. So, yeah. Well, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. It's awesome. And then, um, so we usually love music. Um, we started off with Lindsay Lohan's Rumors. That's right. My choice. <laughs> yeah. My choice. Adam, do you want to put it on? Do we? Sure. <clears throat> because the name of the rosé is called Rumors.